Welcome to The Fight with Teddy Atlas, presented by Dynamic Striking. I'm Ken Rideout, joined as always by Boxing Hall of Famer and the voice of boxing for the past 25 years, the great Teddy Atlas. Teddy, before we jump into things, just a quick note to let everyone know Dynamic Striking is having a Black Friday sale uh, going on all this week. You can get 50% off all of Teddy's instructional videos. Be sure to check that out at dynamicstriking.com. How you doing, Teddy? How was Thanksgiving? Yeah. Thank you. Uh, I hope you guys are all good. It was great. We had 25 people, relatives, friends. Uh, Elaine was, you know, just great that she had to cook for that many people and and did it without uh, breaking any dishes over anybody's head. And, um, <laughs> <laughs> and you know, it, is, it was great to have family and friends and loved ones uh, all together, you know, appreciative to have each other. Not just have the turkey, but to have each other, and you yeah. know, to there's so many people out there that don't have somebody to be with on Thanksgiving or any day, you know, and and yeah. to know just to know that you got people that care about you, that's that's important. Yeah. The people that be there if you need them, and um, yeah. so it was great. I hope all the people out there, all our fans out there, who we love and appreciate. I hope I hope they all had a great Thanksgiving. I hope you had a great Thanksgiving. I hope Rob had a great Thanksgiving with all your families. Uh, your beautiful families. Uh, another treat on Thanksgiving Day was this: uh, the Raiders won, baby. <laughs> the Raiders, like yep. like my <laughs> like my like my brother from another mother, Stephen A., who I love. Like he would say, "How about them Cowboys? How about them Cowboys?" You know, <laughs> he, he's always after the Cowboy fans. But um, yeah, the Raiders, the Raiders kept the lights on. Put it that way. They're flickering. Yeah, they're flickering. But he kept. They kept the lights on with the win, and um, what lights that are not flickering are the lights of the New England Patriots. <laughs> they are not flickering. They are strong. Six wins in a row. Uh, I think they're in first place in the division. I said, I said, um, months ago that the I thought the Patriots could win that division, and then you corrected me at the time. You said, "Well, the Buffalo Bills." I said, "Oh yeah, they're they're way above them right now," but I said. You never know. They're, they're a team that's really improved. They got the quarterback of the future. My son said that he was, Mac Jones was the quarterback coming out of that class that he thought was the top guy. He thought he was another Tom Brady. Now, I know that's a crazy yeah. statement. I get it. I get it. But he was saying that he, they got similarity. He sees the field. He's intelligent. Yeah. He's reliable. He's the You know, I always talk about in our sport and in all sports that you know, everyone talks about the talents that are so neon, that are so easy to see, you know, speed, power, this, that. But what about being dependable? What about that talent, being reliable, you know, uh, being consistent? And Mac Jones has that, and he's accurate. And so I said to you, I remember, I said, uh, I think they're going to be back. And here they are. Here they are. Are you, you got your ticket? Oh, well, you don't need tickets. You got a private plane. Are you, is, it, <laughs> is the pilot ready to make that trip to the Super Bowl? I mean, Already. LA, here yeah. we come. I'm staying with Rob. We got yeah. sideline tickets. Oh, man, that's going to be beautiful. I'll tell you whose lights weren't flickering or, or, or were about to flicker out all my children. They've decided that they're now Tennessee Titan fans that we live in Nashville. So they were like actively rooting against me on Sunday. I said, guys, we can clown around, but I'm not clowning with this. If you root against the Patriots, we're never letting you back on the bandwagon. Yeah. Of course, before the game was over, all three of them like, Dad, we, we want New England instead. I go, nope, that's not yeah, how it works, Yeah, when guys. they were losing you, like 40 to <laughs> 20 or whatever. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. 
exactly. And for the first Thanksgiving ever, we had just me and my wife and, and the four children and went over to some neighbor's house. The great Jelly Roll, the famous uh, Southern rapper and country music singer, had us over to his house with a bunch of his family and friends. It was a lot of fun and uh, nice to experience a different type of Thanksgiving, a Southern Thanksgiving, oh, cool. if you will. It was beautiful. You're getting bigger and bigger, Ken. I don't know how much longer I'm going to be able to talk to you. <laughs> I mean, you even have a studio set up. I just recognize that. I'm saying, my God, he's got a studio. He's got a studio. Hey, I do. I do it for the fans. Wow. I want this thing to look prof as professional as possible. Sam. I've been here for I've been here for six months, but one of these days there's going to be some bookshelves built behind me if I can ever get a contractor contractor to show up at my house. Um, I got my man so, Sam yeah. Rivera here, uh, who helps me over here and helps us. And he just looked at. It, he put his thumb up. He said, "Wow, this this guy is uh, he's cooking with gas. He ain't playing around." I mean, <laughs> I, I knew him when he was. I knew him when he was, you know, very small. Um, Sam. <laughs> I mean, look at him now. He's like cousin Brucey. I mean, it, 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 it's unbelievable. <laughs> <laughs> it's unbelievable. I mean, it's incredible. Uh, wow, I prefer to be more like right. Howard Stern right. than Cousin Brucey. Howard Stern. Hey, Cousin Brucey was big. He was big. I how, know. How, if there are any production people, light, lighting and camera people in Nashville, if anyone can help me out, I need some advice on my lights and my camera setup. It's not It's not ideal, and I'm not a professional pro producer. The phone's going to so start ringing. Anyone? Watch. You, <laughs> I hope yeah, it does. Your, your outreach is large. Your reach is large. <laughs> You're like, the, you got well, a jab that goes uh, two blocks long, believe me. Well, speaking of reach is large, you you use your reach, and we've got the man of the hour, the great George Cambosis, joining us later for an interview, uh, probably one of the first uh, media uh media interviews he's done since the fight other than the post-fight press conference so in anticipation of that guys we have a ton of stuff to cover so bear with us as we try to like get through everything it was a crazy weekend an awesome action weekend for all fighting it was entertainment all day every day over the break so um let's jump right into I'll just it just say Teddy real quick fred sternberg uh the best pr man in the business and he is uh, you know there's nobody close to him. He he made it possible for me to get and for us to get Cambosis. So we're we're very appreciative of that. And of course, uh, Lou DeBella Entertainment uh, and Lou DeBella himself, the man, the promoter of uh, Cambosis, who does a good job. Yep. Thanks to Lou. Thanks to Fred. But before we get into the main event, Teddy, let's quickly cover the um, Azinga Fuzili versus Kenichi, Kenichi Ogawa for the super featherweight That's title. That's easy for you to um, say, Ken. You're a college graduate. <laughs> we'll have a South African against a Japanese fighter, but I know Marv Albert would never let you just rifle through those names without... Uh, no, he wouldn't. Rifle through their, uh, their, um, their country of origin versus their name. So it's Azinga Fuzili versus Kanichi Ogawa. Um, how'd you like that one? Kind of Ogawa gets the unanimous decision, drops Azinga Fuzili a few times. Interestingly, Fuzili shows up in New York for the fight. Just him and his trainer. No other entourage. No other help. No no other team. Just him and his trainer. Old school, old fashioned, like you and Mike Tyson at the national championships. Yeah, you're right. Traveling light. Um, traveling, you know, fists will travel, but. Uh, usually, usually when you see a guy travel that light, um, sometimes in old days I used to see guys, you know, they try and they pick up a cup man, they even pick up a quarter man, uh, when they got there, and that meant basically they were an opponent. 
this is a higher level here we're talking about, but that basically meant when they were picking up cornermen, it meant they were there, you know, as the B side, not the winning side. But uh, in this case, the only thing that I mentioned about this was that we all saw the right hand. If you were watching it, you saw a couple of devastating right hands that really took control of the fight for Ogawa. Um, but I like to talk about why they landed. You know, you don't need me to tell you a right hand landed. And it changed the fight. It took control of the fight. But Ogawa landed a big right hand early that dropped Fazili. And the reason he landed it was his setup. He conned Fazili by bending a little low like it was going to go downstairs and then throwing high. And there, there's, that's the cerebral part of it. That's the intellect that I like. That it's not just about strong, tough guys. Yes, it is about strong, tough guys. But the ones who are smarter. You know, it's one thing to have power and you can knock down a wall. But you have to have a way to deliver it, not to a wall, but to a moving object, to a, a person's chin, body, whatever, that's trying to make it difficult for you to zoom in on them, for you to catch them. And at the same time, not get caught yourself. So I I just appreciate that science, you know, keeping the sweet science alive and that science part of it. So I have that's what I mentioned about that fight is that's what made the difference. Yeah, he was physically stronger, but he was able to use his physical advantage by being smart. And he bent low, he threw it high. Then later in the fight, when he scored another big right hand, he did it again, Ken, but a different delivery system, which I liked. He switched it up. This time he just started the left hand. Pop! Just started the left hand enough to distract Fazili. Boom! And then he shot the right hand. Just enough to open the door where the right hand could come in. And um, that's it. Uh, Fazili, uh, very game. Very game guy, but he was, uh, you know, he was out, out strength uh, in that fight. And again, not just by a guy stronger and a better puncher, which which he was, but a guy who understood how to get it across, understood how to put the science part in there with the with the sport. Well. <clears throat> Speaking of game, two game game guys in the main event. What an awesome fight. Uh, Teofimo Lopez, George Camposos. Speaking of cut, man, it looked like they could have used some help in the uh, Lopez corner. <laughs> Rob, our producer, texted me at one point and says, what's the cut man doing? He's, this cut is a mess. And I said, oh, I think they grabbed him out of the audience. I think they just assumed they were going to run this kid over. They certainly started the fight in the first round like they had no, absolutely no respect for Camposos. They just attacked with a mauling style. I think you put out a tweet that said he sent out a jab and posed with it. It was like just all wrong. And Camposa caught him right over the top with the right hand and dropped him. Changed the changed the direction of the fight. Interestingly, I was just trying to pull up the scorecards. I, I want to say I saw a tweet from Coppinger that said two of the three judges had it 10-9 for, for Kambosos in the first round with a knockdown. I mean... <clears throat> I, I, I was under the impression if you knock someone down, unless you get absolutely destroyed and get a flash knockdown, it's a t- it's a 10-8 round. And I didn't think Camposos got just mauled in the first round. The other guy was charging forward, coming forward <clears throat> recklessly, and he got knocked down. Um, nevertheless, I, 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 
when the fight was over, I, I genuinely was convinced that they would give it to Lopez. But then I started to think, <laughs> maybe the father has alienated so many people. The guy is so toxic at times that maybe the judges will had enough of him. I don't know, but we'll get into his interviews and excuses after the fight. And Tiafimo Jr., man, he did not do himself any, he did not win any fans with the way he handled that loss. He got clearly got beaten. He got outboxed, I thought, most of the night. And the way he acted after the fight was just not a good look for him or his team or anyone else. And the father, of course, was if he win, when when Junior wins, the father's all over the interview. When he loses, he's kind of like in the background, lost in the shuffle. Just it's just a mess, a mess in the way the whole, whole thing was handled. But credit to George Cambosis. He came out there with a game plan. He clearly believed in himself the way he said he would. He was tough in the buildup to the fight, never took any crap from anyone and, and believed in himself. And I thought maybe it was a bit of posturing, but Jesus, he looked good. And congratulations to George Cambosis. How'd you like it? You know, as far as the cup man goes, um, I, I, it was hard to get a clear look, but I think that's a guy that's a pretty well-known cut man and corner man in the business. And I'm not going to even say his name because I'm not 100%, but I am pretty much 100% sure. Um, so I'm not even going to, I don't want to put him more in that position. But, you know, it was evident for everybody that obviously they didn't get that cut really under control. And um, sometimes a guy gets too old. And and he's a guy that's been very good, very uh, a fixture in the corners of big fighters. But sometimes you get too old. Referees get too old. Judges get too old. Trainers get too old. Cup men get too old. And maybe it's a case of that. And again, we, we always say what we believe has to be said instead of uh, too much. Too he, was much he was definitely tiptoe. a much older yeah, guy. Uh, we don't tiptoe around stuff too much. I always take pride that we could call this show the microscope. Because we're going to take what has already, in some cases, been said, but we're going to take it and we're going to put it on the slide and we're going to put it under the microscope and we're going to see what we really see. And um, in boxing, guess what, Ken? You, I think you figured this out already. Uh, there are microorganisms that you wind up seeing um, under the scope in boxing. Um, you know, uh, they're very, uh, I don't want to insult amoeba, but... Um, <laughs> I, I, I sometimes it could be compared to amoeba. Sometimes there's a lot of good people, a lot of good people too, a lot of good people too. Yep. Before you before you break down the fight, let me just say one thing. I want to just give a quick shout out to an Irish fan, Rob Waddell, who sent me a direct message on Instagram and said, Campos is going to win this fight. And I said, you have to be out of your mind. You know, he's a 10 to one underdog in New York. I said, he's never going to win. He said, yes, he is. I guarantee he's going to win. So congratulations, Rob. You were right. I was wrong. There's the scorecards. Rob has them up. And yeah, it looks like we have two Two of the three judges had it 10-9 um, in the first round, even though Cambosos had the knockdown. Yeah, listen, as far as I'll touch on that real fast, um, we were the beneficiary, uh, me and the, all the people around, Michael Mora, who did a very good job, John Davimos, uh, the Duvis, everybody. Uh, we were the beneficiary when we won the heavyweight championship of the world. Uh, against the great Evander Holyfield. I think it was the second round we got dropped. It was a quick drop, and we won the round after that and before that, but we got dropped. And um, I think it was one judge who, instead of making it 
uh, a, you know, obviously a a 10-8 round. He made it either a 10-9 or an even round. I, I can't remember for sure. But he didn't make it traditionally just go and make it a 10-8 round. And it was for a reason. Obviously, I agreed with him. <laughs> because it made the difference of us winning or being a draw. And then, of course, Holyfield would have maintained the title. But I agree with him even if I didn't have a horse in the race, so to speak, because Mora had really dominated the round up to that point. So I don't know if it falls into that class. I mean, this was a, you know, it was a good legitimate knockdown um, scored by Gambosis in the first round. Uh, again, there's a precedent for judges to do that. And look, the thing that matters is they got it right at the end. So it's not like there was malintent. Like, Thank God, we, but it looked no, like it was, it was being set up that way. Well, when you saw it first, you might have thought that. Yeah, no doubt about it. Knowing the history of this game and the history of sometimes these decisions, which really sometimes uh, are unexplainable. The only way to explain them is it's either incompetence or corruption. And sometimes they're so incompetent that it can't be incompetent. Or, or you look at it and you say, well, nobody could be that incompetent. It's, it's <laughs> unfortunately got to be corruption. So, yeah. Uh, the the red light would go on when you saw that, but it wasn't because at the end of the day, they didn't stay on that path. They had a reason for it. They they justified their reason. They they thought that you know uh, that the other guy did enough. They thought that the champion Lopez was ahead enough where this should not count as a ten eight round, even though he got dropped. Uh, you know you got to use your discretion sometimes. There is room and allowance to use the discretion. They used that discretion in an honest way, uh, which was good. It was a breath of fresh air. It was good for the sport. It was a good night for the sport. There was a lot of good fights on. You know, I've been uh, saying for a while now that UFC, rightfully so, uh, that UFC has been passing boxing, putting on better fights, better consistent fights, you know, week in and week out. Uh not Saturday night. Uh, boxing once again uh, went and took its place that it used to have, where it was it was on top of the hill for that night. You know, it really was. It it went back up to the mountaintop, uh, throughout across the board, with all the platforms, all the different channels, all the different networks. Boxing had great fights. They had great fights, and um. It shows they can do it right. They can still do it right. They don't do it right enough. I'll, I'll say it again. I don't care. But they did it right that night. And the judges did it right. Because too often, the great Bert Sugar, my friend who's gone from us now, but he used to say all the time, he say even when they have a good night, they shoot themselves in the foot, you know, the boxing, and gives themselves another black eye, even though they're the Cyclops, and they only have one eye left. And not Saturday night, baby. They didn't shoot themselves in the foot. They didn't destroy a good night. They, they, they had the right fights and the right results with the judges. So I have to say that, you know, because when they're bad, uh, nobody goes after more than I do, and we do. But when they're good, nobody's going to compliment them more than I do, and we do. Rightfully so. So they did a great job. The matchmakers did a great job. The fighters did, of course, the best job. And um, as far as as far as Cambosis Lopez, 
Cambosis started as a 13 to 1 underdog, I believe. Right, Ken? I, I, I believe that's what it was. In that context. Yeah. And if you're going to pull off the upset, Cambosis' mindset and everything else was exactly what it needed to be to pull off that upset. I mean, it was planned and understood every inch of the way, every aspect, every dimension of it, the mental, the technical, the strategy, every dimension was understood. He made a comment that I, I, it really caught me when I heard him after the fight, when he said, you know, I listened to a tape of the great legendary Customato, my mentor, of course, and right away my, I said, wait, he's talking about Customato. I, and I, you know, my ears perked up. And he said, before the fight, I listened to him when Muhammad Ali, who cussed would mentor sometimes, was friends with him and, and serve as a mentor to the great Muhammad Ali, when he was getting ready to fight the great George Foreman, undefeated, a lot of similarities. He was supposed to, people were afraid for Ali's life. He had no chance. Just like they were talking about Cambosa shouldn't be in the ring, no chance. He's going to get killed. Same thing they were saying about Cambosa. A lot of people were saying, except obviously the man that you just mentioned. And that was, that <laughs> was he's, he stands alone. Or not completely alone, but he stands out as as the yep. minority of, of what people were saying. Um, and Cuz got a phone call. And Cuz used to talk to me about this a lot. And he got a phone call from Ali before the fight. Uh, and he says, Cuz, everybody's scared to death. This guy's saying I'm going to get killed. I shouldn't even be fighting. What should I do? And Cuz said to him, listen, you're fighting a bully. You're fighting a guy who doesn't respect you, doesn't think anything. Just further proof that, yes, this is really Teddy Atlas. <laughs> <laughs> The dinosaur, the man who still has a fax machine um, <laughs> and forgets to turn it off sometimes. This is, yes, uh, you, you're getting, you're not getting, you know, an imposter. Uh, you, you're just getting, uh, hopefully, what you want to get. You're getting me. Uh, with with all my imperfections and um, my lack of uh, social media and um, science, and technology, but I have a good, good, good work in fax machine, and all you have to do is push the button, and you could kind of shut it off. So, Cuz got this phone call, and Ali, what should I do, Muhammad, the great Muhammad Ali? And Cuz tells him, "Look, this guy doesn't respect you. The guy's been a bully. He's bullying everyone around. He thinks he's going to go out there and just knock you out, and he thinks you're going to run." And everyone. Uh, I'm sure has told you that you need to run. What does that mean? You need to survive, not win. No, you're there to win. The first thing you have to do is send a message to this guy. You have to send him a strong message right in the first round. So Ali said, what's that message? That I am not going to be intimidated. You got the wrong guy tonight. You got the wrong guy. You, you, you don't got the guy that you and the press, the media think, no. You got the wrong guy. You got a guy here to win and a guy who's not afraid of you. You got to send that message. You got to send it strong. You got to send it early. You got to go right out there and hit him with a right hand, right on the kisser. So he said, I listened to what Cus said, and that's what I did. 
I have the same mindset. Everyone thinks I got to survive. I got to run. I got to do this. But I got to get his respect. I got to do just what Cus said. Let him know that tonight's different. Tonight is different. And he did. He went out there and, of course, the end of the round, he drops him. And that, that impressed me to the point that I'm saying, wow. You talk about, you know, turning every stone over to see what you got to see. You know, you talk about being prepared in every aspect of it. You know, you talk about, you know, being aware of everything and making sure you cross your T's and dot your I's and then some. Semicolons, you know, commas, apostrophes. I mean, he, he did everything. And, and he, anything he could find to give him what he needed. Mentally, emotionally, spiritually, physically, and technically. You know, he took all the stuff that went on to in this year where the fights were postponed and there was so much turmoil. So many of the fights were off, they were on, new promoter. You know, how about Eddie Hearn? He found the lottery ticket in the garbage can, huh? Yep. <laughs> you know, I mean, he uh, deserves it. He deserves it. He found the lottery ticket, baby. And so, you know, Triller lost out. They, I mean, they're amateurs at this stuff, the professional boxing stuff, and it showed. And the whole thing was a mess. The whole thing, but through that all, that's where you get champions, the ones that can handle that mess. Not just the physical part, the, the mental part, the emotional part, and not get lost. A lot of guys would have got lost right there. They would have. They would have started thinking, oh, it's not meant to be. It's a bad omen. Yeah, that infiltrates. It does. It gets absorbed sometimes if you let it get absorbed. Not for the strong-minded, not for the ones that feel they are destined to be champions. It's part of the territory. It's part of the journey. It's part of the turf. They know that. And they know they have to prove themselves before they get in the ring. And I realized that. I was thinking about it. I said, this is like from the art of war. This is what those great people that were tacticians in war, masters in war, used to say, that the war is won before the first battle ever began. That's exactly what's meant. You know, you hear it, it's good literature. You know, it's a good combination of words. But what does it really mean? That's what it means. That's what it means. There are things going on whether you're truly, truly aware of it or not that are going on before any battle, before any battle starts. There are things going on that you have to overcome. And if and how you handle with those will tell the tale. You handle those, well, the war's won before the first battle began. And he handled them. He handled the postponements. He handled his grandfather, who he's named after, dying during the camp. And then having a full cycle of life where his third child, a son, is born on the same day. Wow. He handled all of that. You know, having to go be away so long, all the way from Australia, be over here, then go back, and then come back, and, and just keep going. And so many times you could have just said, oh, it's not meant to be. It's, you know, and just lacked a little bit, lagged a little bit. Not him. Not him. Not him. He deserved it. He earned it. And that's why he was so confident. He knew that. 
You got 75% of this is mental, baby. He knew that. He knew when he was getting in that ring, he wasn't leaving without the belt. He truly knew it. You, you would have set him up to a polygraph test. You would have had flat lines. He believed it. That's where it starts. That's what I mean by we put it under the microscope. That's where it starts. Before we talk about counterpunching and right hands and jabs, that's where it starts. He won the battle before the war. He was a winner going in. He was a winner going in. He just had to go out there and execute. He had to go out there and just put the color into the painting. The painting was in front of him. The picture was, he just had to color it in. He just had to color it in. He fought that war. He just had to go and color it in. And he did. And magnificent. To me, the things that stood out after that was who's better prepared mentally most? One guy, Cambosis. One guy. Who's better prepared as far as strategy, a fight plan, technique? One guy. You had one guy in Lopez. Listen, you could argue he had the better talent. I'm not going to argue with you that he's a stronger guy. He might be more explosive. He is more explosive. You can argue that. And, and I'll, I'll give it to you. But how many times have I talked, like I talked about earlier, about talents being in so many different dimensions, so many different areas that we don't respect enough sometimes. The talent of being de- dependable. The talent of being reliable. The talent of not bending. The talent of not breaking. The talent of consistency. Belief. And technically being the best you could be so you use your talent to the utmost you could easily say Cambosa used whatever talent he had even if it was less in some physical dimensions he used every ounce of it where Lopez doesn't because it's not developed as much and as far as a fight plan oh my god Lopez when you know what his fight plan looked like I'm gonna go in there and knock him out I'm gonna go home you didn't think that the dad had a good plan in between rounds when he was uh-huh. telling him, what the F are you doing? Get him out of there. Stop this. Get like, what, what? I'm thinking this guy's in a firefight and you're telling him, get him out of there. I've been no. trying for the last 10 rounds and, lying and I'm losing. To him. And lying exactly. to him saying you slipped. I slipped on the right hand. <laughs> but it wasn't a banana peel. Listen, he, I mean, you think the fight is stupid? You, you think he's sitting there, he's not, he's saying, I slipped? I, uh, my jaw don't feel like I slipped. I mean, he, these these birds warming in my head, before, you know, 10 minutes ago, you know? They weren't <laughs> tweeting. Insanity. There was no tweet, 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 tweet. You know, they weren't in my head before. So, look, he was prepared. The father, when, to touch on what you just said, Ken, to take it a tiny bit further, you're so right. But the father in the corner, if my memory serves me right, First, he tells you know he goes you tripped. Then he tells him, he tells him you got to take it easy, relax, step back, take it easy, slow down. And then he tells him, get this guy out of here. <laughs> a <laughs> little a contradictory, just a little contra. Webster's would say that's a contradiction. <laughs> that that's that's a contradiction. Um, I mean. Just absurd. I felt so bad for the, I felt terrible for the fighter. I'm just like, dude, you're so unqualified right now. If this is the advice, you have no business training a guy who's, you talked about neon talent. That's what I was thinking. When you were saying that, I was thinking of 
That's Lopez. This kid is the most talented. You see this kid do a standing backflip? Like he has athletic gifts that I wish I had. But his his advice when he gets into a tough jam, his trainer, he's he's on his own. The trainer is just like has zero advice. None of, nothing the father said made sense. Slow down, go get him, do this. Do, there was no practical boxing oh, advice listen, it was just knee drug emotions. And, and listen, this is In a, a title fight, example. Cause used to tell me all the time, Teddy, if you're going to, as you move up in this business, I was 18, 19 years old. He said, Teddy, you're going to see incompetence to, to the level that you're going to shake your head and you're going to say, oh my God, how is that possible? And he, and how did the fighter get to that point? And Cus always said, despite the guy with him, despite every once in a while, if it's a good enough talent and he gets enough experience, he'll learn despite of the guy because he'll get experience. He'll get 200 amateur fights, 300 amateur fights, 150 amateur fights, whatever. And he'll have the talent. He'll have the, the obviously determination, wherewithal in those areas to stick with it. And despite of the people with him, he'll wind up learning. And that's why you see a lot of fathers, quite frankly, they get one guy. They don't get two. They don't get three. They don't get five. They get one guy because they it was their son. They started when they're six, five, three, two, uh, still in the womb, whatever. And they get one guy, and they're not able to repeat that kind of success with another guy because it happened because they started them early. The kid had a lot of talent. He stayed with, and they did have part of the success because they gave him confidence. They gave him belief. You can see the kid gets belief from the father, as crazy as it is. That's true. Uh, again, no, you're right. we tell the truth here. We, uh, we're the microscope. He, he get, you, The bad part is the bad part, no doubt. But he believes. The father tells him you could beat anyone in the world. He believes it. He believes it. And that's where the father served him. But there comes a time when now it's not, an, it's not enough anymore. At this level, it's not necessarily enough anymore. You have to be able to give him something else, and he needs something else. After seeing that Saturday, it leaves me even scratching my head even more that he was able to beat Vasily Lomachenko. It just seems hard to believe that the same guy who went in there with that lack of game plan against Cambosis, taking nothing away from Cambosis, that that same guy beat Vasily Lomachenko essentially without a coach. I think Just part of instincts. it is I'm taking nothing away now. I'm not going to do that. Taking nothing away from Lopez. He's the same talent I thought he was when he beat Lomachenko. But uh, sometimes people don't handle success as well. Hey, that's part of the test too. Character. You know, handling success. You know, uh, he was, whether you want to use that old-fashioned term, hungrier before the title fight now, even though he only had, you know, just got the title, uh, he's not as hungry or he's not as, you know, focused. That's part of it. That infiltrates. That gets in there. That's part of it. Um, part of, you know, part of it also was Lomachenko started too late. Or why did he start too late? He had so much respect for Lopez's power that he spent maybe a couple rounds too many navigating around the guy, you know, sending the scouts out there to see where the tanks were coming from before he started bringing his artillery up the road. Yeah, I, I think that was part of it. But again, again, uh, taking nothing, it's not fair completely. It's fair to point that out because it's probably not going to be pointed out. But it's not fair to put it all on that because Lopez that night uh, was really focused and had the right plan 
And the, if Lomachenko was a little off with his plan, it had something to do with Lopez too. So, and and also Lopez, even though Lomachenko was coming on like gangbusters in the later half of the fight, coming on, you know, starting to move those tanks forward, that artillery forward, starting to look like he was going to take that town over uh, after he was after he was held at bay. The last round, the real defining round, the last round of the fight, Teofimo grabbed the hold of himself and behaved like a champion and acted like a champion and became a champion. Uh, so you can't take that away from, but I think everything we're pointing out needs to be pointed out. And at the end of the day, no fight plan at all, obviously. Uh, you don't need Colombo to tell you that. You know, I mean, <laughs> we just told you, but you saw it. No fight plan for for the champion and a great fight plan for the challenger. You know, he, he knew he was going to use the jab. He was going to control range. He does a real good job of just getting out of range and then back in range. And and you know what? Poor man's version of Manny Pacquiao. And this in no way is an insult to, to Campbell. I do nothing but compliment Campbell. He deserved it. He earned it. But not everybody has the physical abilities, you know, the genetic abilities that, that a legendary, iconic, you know, one in... 10,000 fighter like Pacquiao has. and But he does it maybe not at that level physically, but the same the same kind of idea, the same idea, the same. And, and some of that might have rubbed off him with all the rounds that he did spar with Pacquiao. It definitely helped his confidence, knowing that he could handle any kind of talent. It definitely helped that. But you could see the little, like Pacquiao was real good, at, you know, getting out, getting in. And... Cambosis did a great job of that, getting out of range and then uh, getting right back in quick enough to counter uh, before you could defend it, before you could counter it. He did a great job of that. And I'm sure that that, that was partly attached to his experience with, with Pacquiao. And, and credit to all his trainers, to everybody, and to his father, who's part of the team, the management, whatever side of it is. But he's part of it too, <laughs> that... He, he he didn't get in the way. You know, he was only a plus. You could easily argue, and it's nothing personal against Lopez's guy. We don't want to say anything other than what we see. I wish I didn't have to say that. But he got in the way. He got in the way. He didn't, uh, sometimes the best thing you could do is not get in the way. He got in the way. That takes away. That's negative. So all of them. He he used his jab. He used his legs without running, being set to punch too. Because if he ran, the, Lopez would have tracked him down. Just walked, <laughs> walked right in. But he was set where he could counter. He could give him something to worry about. You know, keep his respect, keep him in his place. Don't let him get you know too confident or get in control or get in that kind of rhythm, get momentum. So his fight plan was. It was tremendous. The only mistake he made when he got dropped <clears throat> was he left his head on the right side, literally over here where you're in the lane of the right hand. You're supposed to, if, if, if you're teaching boxing properly, you're supposed to leave your head on the left side, outside the right hand with an orthodox fighter, not on the right side. And he left it on the right side. He got caught with the right hand, but he showed a great chin all night when he had to. Great heart. He reminded me in spots and that, I think it was the ninth and tenth round where he was taking a, a bit, obviously. Uh, he reminded me of 
the late great Arturo Gatti, where he was able to absorb that and then come back so fast. Absorb and come back so fast. I mean, he reminded me of the great Gatti and, um, in that way. Were you surprised that Lopez didn't jump on him more when he, had, when he knocked him down? I, he I missed, thought he missed opportunity. Missed I opportunity. Thought so. But again, that's a good point, Ken. Because again, if you're in a chaotic world, chaos, which, which obviously has got to be the world that he's in with, with a father like that. And you're in that kind of camp and there's chaos and everything else going around. And those simple things are missed. They're not taught. They're not practiced. You know, like the same mentality. Like he walked in that ring. His fight plan looked like it was simply, I'm going to walk across the ring. I'm going to hit him. And then I'm going to go home. <laughs> And, like a and, cartoon. Yeah, and like the father said, one time in the corner, come on, we're gonna be we, we're gonna be celebrating later. Uh, meanwhile, the <laughs> son's like losing round after round and and getting banged a bit. We're gonna celebrate, like come on, we're gonna go like that was like that was on the top of the list of priorities. Like Teddy, he wasn't thinking. banged a bit. It looked like he went through the windshield of a car. He was he was a mess. A hundred percent. So now, to your point, how does he miss that opportunity? He was a tremendous amateur fight everything else. how does he miss that because because again the mentality's already been absorbed where you know we we don't have to pay attention to detail you know crossing t's dotting i's doing the things that you have to do was we we finally hit the guy he finally went down now just go hit him again like like it like it, it became part of the atmosphere unfortunately like uh, with the chaos with with the lack of definition real definition to what professionalism to what you do because anyone who teaches the sport knows oh my god how many times i heard these lessons from customado okay teddy your guy gets a guy hurt stay calm you gotta be a good finisher how are you a good finisher okay close the close the gap behind the jab so he don't counter you on the way he don't pick you up. give him a little faint maybe in case because a guy who's hurt is desperate and he'll throw something at you in a desperate manner don't walk into it faint him get that desperate punch out of the way now come in behind the jab go after him and go to the body because he's in survival mode he's going to be looking to survive but the body won't be moving the head will be moving to survive if you throw to the head you might let him survive so go to the body freeze the head paralyze the head and then place a punch a finishing punch up top that's what Crawford does that's what the great that's what Joe Lewis did that's that's what Mike Tyson did that's what the great finishers do and he didn't what did he do same thing we talked about at the beginning of the fight he didn't establish any plan or any any routine any any technical base of things that you follow to get the results you want to get he just did what I guess was probably the the whole mantra of training camp. Go get the guy. Just go <laughs> blitz him. Go get him. So what did he do when he hurt the guy? No change. Go get him. Just go get him. So he's throwing all these shots, missing to the head, and he's allowed the guy to survive. That was his moment. We get moments in life. You got to be prepared for that moment. He, he missed the moment. You know, he blew the moment. And, and that was it. And he didn't go behind the jab. He didn't faint the guy to make sure, get the big punch out of the way. He didn't go to the body instead of chase. He chased the head. And he allowed the guy 
to survive. And the guy's own will, Cambosa's own will, was so strong, his determination, his preparation, that whole year that he'd been through for this fight was was there for him when he needed it. It was there for him when he needed it. You know what? I'm gonna when we talk to him, when we when we interview him, and I hope the people out there are ready for this interview because it's gonna be one of his first ones. And and we'll we'll touch on all this, you know, get it right from the horse's mouth as you, as they say. I I have a feeling you're gonna laugh, Ken, but I have a feeling with everything he went through it was like almost like a Hollywood movie, like it was scripted. And everything yeah. he went through <laughs> you're gonna laugh i think that he almost expected to get dropped like i think when he got dropped he went, of course uh, after everything i've been through <laughs> of course this was gonna happen and this was the l- last part of it that i'd have to prove to the boxing gods you know whatever way you want to put it i'd have to that i that i deserve this i and and to myself to my i i said i deserve it now i gotta prove it you know what i mean sometimes you gotta write the check sometimes you gotta write the check and it was time to write the check. And and I really mean it because it's happened. I've been in this business where the, where the guy, I've been in fights where I, I just knew to win that fight, there was going to be a moment we're going to have to get through, we're going to get hurt, and that was going to be it. And then if we got through it, we're, we're, we're sailing home, baby. We're sailing home. But that moment was coming. It was coming. And I, I wonder if him and his people felt the same way, and him in particular said, yeah, of course. Okay, now get up and do what you came here to do. Get up and behave the way you got to behave and the way that you said you would behave when the moment came and act like a champion. Here's your title right here. I think that happened. I think that was part of it. He was that prepared. It was that much his destiny. And that's what destiny is. Fulfilling destiny, that's what it is. Believing that you have a destiny and believing that there's a road you have to go through to get to that destiny, to fulfill that destiny. And I believe he felt that this road was always going to have that hole in it, that bump in it, that tree laying across that he was going to have to move. He was going to have to get past. And damn it, he got past it. And I tell you, it, it was magnificent. But we've seen it before. We've seen it before. We've seen this movie before. It is. It's the movie of champions. And not everybody's ready for it. Not everybody gives enough for it. Not everybody is all in. He was all in. He was prepared the whole way through. And the other guy, he won his title. He was prepared that night with Lomachenko. But not in his first title defense. Not to that extent. Not for this guy. For a better guy than they thought they were getting. Yeah, it was overconfidence was part of it. There's no doubt about that. But the only reason it became part of it is because the other guy was what he had to be. Cambosis was what he needed to be. And what he said he was going to be. He didn't lie. He didn't just posture for the microphones. He, he believed it. He bought into it. He paid into it. It was magnificent. It was mag- I give credit to him. It's magnificent. Um, you, you do, if you're a human being, you feel a little bad about Lopez, you do. Because I talked to him before, and I had an occasion where I he's a decent kid. He, he's, he's, a, he's a nice kid. He's, he's a very not, nice he, kid. He's not the kid that you heard talk like that. I think that's, I don't want to blame everything on the father. And you're a grown man, and you have to take responsibility for yourself. I get it. 
I get it. But he's influenced by the father. And and when he started when he started saying, you know, I want to fight ten to two and, and I'll tell you, one thing that sobered him up real quick, and he, he got quiet, he went back a little bit, the kid, was when his own hometown fans in New York against the guy from Australia who came all the way across the world to fight you, his own fans started booing him when he said he won. Started booing. Yeah. And again, I'm, I gave credit to the judges. I gave credit to, to all the promoters. I uh, crossed the board in boxing that night, right, Ken? I gave credit yeah. to everybody, to the judges, to the promoters, to, to the fighters, uh, to the networks, everybody. They put a magnificent night of boxing on. I have to left out one group, the fans. You did a great job. A great. And I tell you when I think you're a little bit you know whatever but um i but no all kidding aside the fans you did a tremendous job you you told the truth you showed your character you know it wasn't about your guy it was about the right guy it was about what was right the guy earned it with his blood his work his sweat everything he earned the right to get his hand risen and not told that he got a gift or that that uh, the other guy was robbed and you made sure that you you didn't go along with it. You didn't go along with it. And um, I think there was I think there was some confusion at the end because the rep, when the announcer was saying and still undefeated, they were both undefeated. Now I don't know. The announcer the did it to be both the hands. announcer. Listen, I love that guy. I'm friends with him. I think he does a great job. Um, Belmonte, um, really, he was being a little cute. He was he was standing out a little bit. He was being a yeah. little cute. And listen. It's fine. He was using. I talk about the sweet science. Fighters using more than just their talent, uh, but uh, their physical talent, but their minds, their cerebralness. Well, he didn't use just his voice. He's got a magnificent voice. He used his cerebralness. He said, "I'm gonna make this a little tricky and a little more suspenseful." I'm gonna. He used his cerebralness. He was a little cute, and he knew they were both undefeated. And he knew that as soon as he said undefeated, you'd think Lopez kept it. You knew right away that you you'd slant a little. The needle would go towards law. Oh my God, Lopez! They gave it to Lopez. He he's he's undefeated. He's the champ. And he but no, he was smart. He he knew they were both. So he he kind of held you in more suspense. He used that to get more drama, and he did because. You you thought oh oh and then he goes and new and you're like oh gee that was a little but I I don't know if the referee or Lopez raised his hand because the refs hold both the hands but Lopez hands no get up because and I that's said, what he hey. thought can he thought just what the what the rigging now Dave Belmonte uh, wanted him to think it, it was pretty brilliant on his side to be honest yeah you know yeah. If, if you want to go down that road and be a little tricky you but know then was convinced that there was a mistake even the ref thought i won well he got tricked but no one thought you won no and then no when, listen the fans straightened it out when they yeah, booed they when did. he started saying that and the crazy thing was there was an interview out there um uh i forget the uh the man's name i know when he first started years ago um and he did, he did an interview. It's out there with the father afterwards. It looked like it was in the lobby of the hotel or something. Oh, I think that and, was uh, Radio Raheem, yeah, Dave, yeah. Dave Chappelle's good buddy. Yeah, yeah he's and, a good dude, listen, that kid. No, he, I know him from years when he started, when he first tried to get in this. And I give him credit. I give him credit that, he's, that he, you know, he, he paid the price. He stayed around. Uh, he followed what he wanted to follow. He followed his dream. And anyway, he... He, he did a, it was good because he let the guy talk. I call this section, the guy by the talk. way, 
the comedy hour of the of the event. Yeah, he let the guy talk. Uh, you're right, Ken. What what he said was beyond comedy. It was like it was it was you know what it really was. It was comedy insanity. But, yeah, it was. Um, it was just. It was just a lack of reality. It was. Uh, it was just living delusion. In, yeah, delusional. It was the delusional hour. It really was because he was believing what he was saying. The father, the father sitting on his chair with with the interviewer, and the interviewer did a great job. He let him talk, yeah. And and he he let him he let him keep talking, and there it is now. Oh, okay, so Rob's right on it. Actually, we should let it play for a yeah, second. Yeah, let it play because go ahead. It is speak for itself, and it's credit to Radio Rahim. Yes, and this is not going to stain my son. It's going to stain him because. Now we can't say we're better than Floyd. Unbelievable. What you got? Floyd's going to say. Wait till you hear this. We got that. You know what I'm saying? You know? And that's all, I, that's all I'm concerned about. You know? Uh, the people know who won that tonight. And it doesn't matter what the judges said. We won tonight. And, and, and this bullshit laws, because it's a bullshit laws, and I should have never fought with the zone. I should have stood with um, top rank. Because those are the and basically, the father, Teddy, says he blames DAZN for the decision. He said he should have stayed with Bob Arum. I don't know that those words have ever been spoken, that he should have stayed with top rank. He got a bad deal elsewhere. Um, then he blamed it on he shouldn't have let the kid fight at 135. He should have made him go up. Uh, but the, then, the then Ken, the worst were, part, the delusional, real delusional, when he, when he just says, but everyone knows we won the fight. We're the people's champ. What? Yeah. And he goes, and the people booed the decision. Um, they actually booed your son for saying <laughs> that you won. They didn't boo the yep. decision. They booed you nice. guys. And and but he's so delusional. You could see it. He goes, yeah. Everyone knows who won. We're the people's champion. And then the craziest part. Maybe Ken, you could, you could fill me in on this a little bit. I I guess my instincts took over and I stopped listening. Um. Uh, it was like my ears like all of a sudden closed you know on their own <laughs> uh, because I couldn't hear it I didn't want to I guess it's kind of like a protective thing you, you, you don't want to hear certain things after a while that are so absurd and he said yeah Floyd Mayweather you know he, he got a chance to kind of uh, you know point as a little he was intimating that now Floyd maybe could make an argument that that Lopez isn't better than him. Like, that's what he was intimating. Like, yeah, the Floyd now is saying something, you know, uh, you know, but it's okay. Like, in other words, he was actually in the conversation of after winning one title, not having a defense yet, uh, yep. being better than Floyd Mayweather. I mean, it was, <laughs> it was just beyond. He's a maniac. Uh, yeah, it was pretty crazy stuff. And, like I said, he, you know, we're the people's champion, and, and it, uh, it was just the kid. Look, I didn't come here to knock anyone. I came here to point things out, and so did you. Uh, but you can't ignore things that are unignorable if you consider yourself a person that tells the truth, and that the truth matters, and our job is to that it does matter. So the kid the kid needs someone else to to direct this ship before it gets shipwrecked. Uh you know, it's taken on water now. 
But oh, for it, sure. it's not shipwrecked. But I, I don't. I think if I got on a ship, Ken, and I saw him as the captain, I'm getting off that ship <laughs> as, <laughs> as, as quick as I'm sorry. I mean, unless of course, unless of course you have a death wish and you just want to party your life away and go down with the ship, as they say. I mean, it's then he's your man. Yeah, and you feel again. He's a young kid. Uh, he's a young kid, uh, Lopez. But at the same time, he's he's a man. He's gotta be able to, at some point, as difficult as it is with the attachment him and his son, his father have. I get it, and the control his father has over him, and the belief that his father and I get it. And the father done a lot of good things for him, obviously. But he's gotta, if he's gonna keep this ship. You know, and give this ship a chance to get to other places and continue the voyage in the right way uh, and not into stormy, you know, weather uh, one after another. He, he's got to see what he's got to see and what we're talking about. You know, yep. it's, it's it's important. But getting back to the breakdown of the fight, which we pretty much got underhand. Um, listen, again, Cambosis. What did he do? He controlled range. He counted when he had to counter. He stood his ground when he had to, but he never got greedy. He he knew that he couldn't stand his ground. Uh, he knew there was a shot clock. There was a shot clock, just like in the NBA. There's a shot clock, and he knew that in his head. There was a shot clock. Yeah, I got to stand my ground so the guy don't think he can just get his way. But then I gotta get. Then I gotta move on to the next place. I can't stay there too long where it would give him a chance to use that explosive talent and to turn the fight into the other direction. That was part of the cerebralness, part of the discipline, part of the plan, part of the belief, part of the consistency, all of it. And so he, he stood his ground in spots, but smart, smart. Just in spots when he had to, he he did a great job with the jab and hooking off the jab. Tremendous. The jab made Tefilio stand straight, and then he then he could catch him. You know, he could catch him off that. Uh, it was kind of like putting a ball on the on the tee. You know, like he would put the head on the tee. You know, my grandson plays tee ball now. You've been through it with your kids, and you put the ball on the tee so they can hit it. He used the jab to put uh, Teofimo's head on the tee to you know do this straight up, and then, then he hooked off of it and hit it off the tee. He did a great job with that. Uh, he he did a great job of moving but not running, being set to punch because he had to have a mix of offense with the defense. Uh, he, you know... He got off first when he had to. Uh, then he got out, like I talked about Pacquiao. Then then he got back in. He, he did a brilliant job, and he did it all night. He got caught that one time where he got dropped. Uh, the only other th- mistake I think he might have made a little bit, which I'm sure they'll work on, is every once in a while he did a great job defensively, make Tefilio miss the big punches, and, and at the same time get, come back and counter. Maybe some spots he came back to the middle instead of countering from the, you know, with his head off on the side, you know, not, in, not straight in the middle. But he, he, he did just, just, a, just a marvelous job, uh, tremendous. And he's a world champion because of it. You know, and and beat a guy with all the belts. One of the only, you know, uh, one of the only, one one of the only champions that 
has all the belts. I don't know how many unified uh, uh, unified champions. I don't know. Is there yep. one other unified champion? Is it Us? No, not Us. You got Fury. Usyk uh, had uh, unified cruiserweight. Yeah. He's got them all except one. The WBC at heavyweight. Usyk's got them all but one. He had the cruiserweight. Um, You're right. Um, I do think that there's someone else who's got them. Charlo has three of four at uh, at 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 fifty eight. I think, but um. There may be one other that I'm, that we're missing, but congratulations to George Kimbosos. We're looking forward to talking to him here shortly. We've still got a lot of stuff to cover. Before we talk about how Triller might get someone murdered in their, in their, at their events. You know, one other almost, thing I want to mention, Ken. Yeah, go ahead. Uh, part of what I think fit into the overall, you know, the overall night of allowing an upset like this to, to, to have. I always like to make a comparison. You know, I talked about how... I think that, again, their fight plan was no fight plan. You know, uh, Lopez was going to show up, go in there, <laughs> get rid of him, and go home. You know, and a little bit like Tyson's attitude with one of the greatest upsets of all time in any sport. You know, not, not only boxing against Buster Douglas. Uh, very similar, where, you know, Tyson, Tyson was just going to, and his people, they weren't prepared. They didn't have a fight plan for Douglas. Douglas had a great fight plan for Tyson. Great! And and they didn't. They were, Their fight plan was similar to this one. We'll go in there, we'll throw a punch, we'll go home. And so I, I think that that is worth mentioning as a comparison. Um, you know, and, and also, if you needed any other proof of his attitude and part of it attached to the father's attitude was that he predicted a first round, you know, knockout. Like, in other words, he was telling you, I don't really think much of this guy. You know, yeah. I, I don't really respect this guy in that kind of way. Uh, yep. You know, we, we'll go, and I'm sure that was probably being told throughout camp, obviously. Uh, and anyway, I just wanted them. I'm looking at my notes. I, I did do 37 pages of notes, so I got to put them, <laughs> I got to put them to a little use before we, <laughs> I uh, gotcha. we close, but go ahead, Ken. You take I it. gotcha. So like I said, before we talk about Triller trying to get people killed in the ring, let's, uh, give a quick shout out to today's sponsors, athletic greens. You guys know, I've been on these guys for a long time. They've been with us for a while. One of the things that I thought about over the holiday, especially with Thanksgiving, you know, we tend to overindulge. And, and the key to me with Athletic Greens is not that it's not like some magical formula that's going to like make you gain or lose weight. But what it is going to do is make sure that you're getting all the right vitamins, minerals, nutrients, probiotics, prebiotics, the stuff that's important for overall immune system health. And one of the biggest killers with COVID is a poor immune system and overall unhealthiness. But one of the things that you can take one small step to protect yourself from, God forbid you get COVID, is to have a healthy immune system and to make sure you're not deficient in some of the vitamins that they talk about with COVID, vitamin C, D, uh, zinc, et cetera, et cetera. Athletic Greens has you covered. They've got a little bit of everything in there. I take it every single day, as I've always told you guys. I credit it with a lot of my uh, health and success athletically, making sure that I've like crossed the T's and dot the I's. So give these guys a try, especially during the holidays. I know everyone's probably has some New Year's resolutions to get fit and get healthy. Don't ignore the stuff you can't see, like your immune system. Go to athleticgreens.com slash atlas, A-T-L-A-S, to get 10 free travel packs with your first purchase and and 
honestly, I take these travel packs everywhere with me. So go to athleticgreens.com slash Atlas or use the promo code Atlas at checkout for 10 free travel packs with your first purchase purchase athleticgreens.com teddy let's talk about triller let me say one Um, other one other thing quick yeah about the obviously and then we'll put it to bed but um about teofimo lopez and cambosis was you know it wasn't always about when you get an upset like this about what you did it's about what you didn't do and what lopez on his end of it Cambosis did everything. What Lopez didn't do was he didn't use his jab. If you're going to press a guy and you know the guy's looking to pot shot you and use his legs a little bit and own the outside, so to speak, and that's his best way to win, you got to know how you're going to press a guy. And by not pressing behind his jab, he didn't use the jab nearly enough, uh, obviously, Lopez. You allow the guy to see you coming. You allow Cambosis to have nothing to worry about, nothing to put pressure on him, nothing to make him defensive, and he could do a better job of pot-shotting, just pot-shotting. As you yeah. come in, he's got a clear windshield. I always talk about the guy's got to put bugs on a windshield, the guy who's pressing forward, trying to get the guy that's moving a little bit. And there were no bugs, and the bugs on the windshield, of course, that's the jab. No bugs on a wind, clear windshield, and Cambosis took advantage of that clear windshield um, completely. And, and, you know, the last thing I'll say is the talent of Lopez at the end of the day is still there. But he's got a lot to learn. Oh, my goodness. He's still got a lot to learn. Just because you become champion don't mean that you stop learning. And he's still got so much to learn to supplement, complement that talent. And he's not getting it. He's not getting it. He needs to get it. I mean, he's still a talented. He's still that Ferrari, you know, that um, that has that engine, that horsepower. He's still that. The problem is when you take a Ferrari into the garage, you got to have good mechanics, you know. You, you, you got to have the right mechanic working on that Ferrari, keeping it tuned up, making sure that all the cylinders, you know, it's got all these cylinders. What if they're not working? Then it's not a Ferrari anymore. And right now, you know, I can't help it, but you, the mechanic looks, instead of a mechanic, looks more, you remember that guy I was thinking is doing a fight. I know it's tough and it's terrible, but it's true. You remember that guy years ago? I think it was the 80s, Ken. Um, his name was Gallagher. He was a comedian. He was a crazy man. And he yeah. was on The Tonight Show, Johnny Carson Show, all the time. And his one forte, it was crazy. His one forte was he, his one trick, he was a one-trick pony, was he had this oversized sledgehammer, and he used to crush everything with the sledgehammer. He used to smash everything with the sledgehammer. And he would... Everything, including watermelons. He put a watermelon up on the crack, and he hit it with the sledgehammer, and the watermelon go all over the place. If I had a Ferrari, I wouldn't take him to Gallica. (laughs) 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 I'm just saying, really, because instead of smashing a watermelon, he might smash part of the engine. I'm just, I'm, I'm not going, I'm not going to Gallica, and um. 
Because instead of a Ferrari, it probably won't be long until you're driving a Hyundai. And yeah, for sure. I, and again, it's, that's it. But this, this kid deserves. And again, I give the father credit for getting him here. But now it's obvious the kid deserves a better mechanic. Somebody that's not going to smash watermelons all over the, the damn engine. That's all. That's all. And by the way, the other unified champs that have at least three title belts is Josh Taylor at uh, junior welterweight. Uh, obviously, you've got Errol Spence has the IBF and WBC. Then you've got Canelo, of course, at super middleweight has all the belts. And uh, like I said, Usyk has um, three of the four major belts at heavyweight. So with that, let's jump into uh, let's jump into Trilla. Start out with uh, platinum. Mike Perry fought a kid named Seals. How'd you like that one? I know you had some thoughts on that one. Yeah. Um, well, first of all, I give credit to this company, Trello. You know, they did a lot of things wrong and screwed up a lot of the boxing stuff for this fight. Of course, that's why Eddie Hearn was able to come up with it. And they, they don't, you know, they're new at it. They didn't know what the hell they were doing. They were a little arrogant. But their platform, their, their thing is not traditional boxing. It's becoming pretty obvious. Yep. It's to do outrageous stuff, different stuff, entertainment more, just entertainment stuff, not not necessarily the professional athletic part of it as much as the entertainment part with the athletic part second. And that's what they're good at. And they did a pretty good job. They came up with a good concept. They, you know, are going to do teams, okay. We're going to do... Uh, MMA against Bob, it's still not really legitimately fair as far as, because the MMA guys can't take you to the floor. Now they can get inside, they introduce the rule, I think that helped, where you could grapple with the guy, grab the guy, so the MMA guys can even the playing field a little bit, you know, a little bit, get inside and put their hands on you and still hit you um, and move you, but they can't take you to the floor. They can't go all the way with, with what they're trained to do. Um and then here, here's where they were really smart. Well, first of all, they made that triangle. The whole idea is to obviously get people's attention, the triangle ring, but also to insist on action, to make sure you're fighting where it's smaller. You know, the next step, I think, should be a phone booth if they want to keep being outrageous. You know, go to a real phone booth. And I mean it. I actually mean it. Get a, you know, a phone booth and put them in a phone booth. They have to enlarge it a little bit. But um, I think that's their next step because that's what they're looking for, attention, and something that's more right, and calls for more action. So that that maximizes the action. Then the other thing they did that was very smart is make both combatants, you know, the boxers and the MMA guys, wear the tiny gloves, four-ounce MMA gloves. You're going to get knockouts. You're going to get guys hurt, you know. So so that was obviously that that's part. And then the final part, make it two-minute rounds because then you're going to, again, you're, you're going to put gasoline on the fire. You're going you're gonna to get more action. That's what they want. They, and you're going to get more because the guys can go full throttle for two minutes a lot more than they can, obviously, for three. And you're... you're you're setting the ground rules. You're you're putting it out there. You're making it clear that you just want action. You don't have you don't want posturing. You don't want the sweet science so much. You want action. Um, as far as as far as the fight, that p- 
particular fight. And the matchmaker was good. That's the key. Except for the heavyweight fight, which was horrendous, and it was all. And there was a there was a female fight on the uh, uh, on second fight of the night that should have been someone should have been arrested for letting. See, the, I didn't the, see that. The boxer, the boxer just got. I mean, I say boxer Teddy. Her record was zero and four. Probably a nice person, but had no business being in a ring. I mean, the the MMA girl pummeled her for about thirty seconds, and then the boxer said, "I've had enough." But thank God, because it was oh my God, it was it was literally like watching someone who's never been in a fight with a professional fighter, with with those little gloves. It was it was not easy to watch a woman get smashed like this. Now you know, and thank God she terrible. said she had enough. That's horrible. I didn't see the early fights. So full transparency, I I only saw the ones that you know the ones that I saw. One of them was obviously the Perry uh, Seals fight that we're talking about now. Matchmaking was good in that, so maybe that was yep. maybe that was the only one that the matchmaking was good because I didn't see the others. Uh, maybe yep. I'm giving credit they don't deserve, but the matchmaking was good. It's always important to have good matchmaking. Always, no matter what all the other details I pointed out about being able to grab, you know, two-minute rounds, you know, the smaller ring with the triangle, all of that stuff. Um, hey, if they're going to keep going in this direction, you know what they might want to try next too, Ken? I just want to be helpful to them. Um, hockey players because and, and on roller skates because, <laughs> no, seriously, because, because the hockey players are used to grappling. You, yep. They grab your jersey, they hit your shot. So they used to do, put them on roller skates. Let the, people come out for it. I mean, you know, <laughs> I, I, you might, somebody, well, anyway. So It's funny you mention hockey players. I was actually, over the break, I spent some time with George Paros, who was like a big fighter in the NHL for many years, played at Princeton. I was with George Paros and uh, the great Brett Hulls, arguably oh, top two or three w- best what players What a slap ever. shot he had. <laughs> the best. Oh my! The best. Well, I mean, well, well, Brett Hall. His father. No, his father was the the, the Golden Rocket. Who was his Bobby father? Hull. Bobby, Bobby Hall. Hull. I see. I go back even farther. Bobby or Brett Hall was great, but Bobby yeah. Hall, the Golden Rocket. His slap shot was like four hundred miles an hour. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> but these were two. These were two like tough guys George Paris you don't think of a kid playing at Princeton and then going into the NHL and being a fighter and he was a pure fighter now he's in charge of discipline for the NHL so when you do something crazy on the ice he hands down the uh the discipline actions from uh you know he's an employee of the NHL he lives down here in Nashville good guys well yeah you know you're you're like a lightning rod for uh, lightning rod for you know, people. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you're, it's just incredible. I mean, I was there at the beginning, people, when um, <laughs> really uh, the the mailman would get lost and say, um, "Who who's this for? This is for somebody." Can oh, it's here, it's me. Now they don't get lost anymore. <laughs> they uh, they don't even need an address. They they just everything goes to Ken Rideout. And um, listen, uh, in all kidding aside. You deserve everything. You you put your heart and soul into this. I with this fight, Perry and Seals, Ken it was a good action fight. You know, with all the crap and with all the stuff and with all the you know bells and whistles and all this shenanigans and you know getting away from tradition and that would drive some of these great old boxing people to to raise out of their grave right now. Um, and it would, but that action is action. 
You know, no matter, a fight is a fight if you get it right. And you got the right matchmaking. You had Seals the boxer against Perry, uh, the tough, you know, obviously street fighter type UFC guy. And um, and they went at it. Now, the advantage yeah. was to Seals. Uh, where when he had the outside, he was more finesseful. He was more accomplished, uh, being a former fighter, boxer, strictly not a UFC guy. He was what you would think would be. He was better on the outside, and he was able to score well with counters, catch the aggressive shorter uh, Perry coming in, and he was able to do that and do it well in spots and hurt. Perry in spots. Even caught him on the inside once because his hook was shorter than Perry's hook. They were both throwing left hooks, but being the former professional fighter, his form was better, tighter, his technique, and his hook got there first. So he had the advantage. But again, to make up for that was just the tenacity, the will, the toughness, the ferocity of Perry. I mean, you got to... I give them both credit uh, for what they did, but Perry came on like gangbusters. He got hurt, but he got to the geography. I always talk about geography. You know, Perry's was better on the outside, and, well, I mean, Perry was better on the inside. Seals was better on the outside. Perry had to be on the inside. He wasn't going to really have a chance on the outside at all, but he did. Yeah. He worked his way inside. He put punches together in a ferocious way with bad intentions, and he just kept going, kept going. It was a close fight. It was a close fight. But Perry wound up uh, getting it. Perry earned it, right? He, he got the decision. He got he Yeah, got his to his legs. surprise. Yeah. I mean, I think yeah. everyone was, everyone was but, shocked. But I'll tell you where Perry. the shock should, should be abated a little bit, really, was I get it, and I just said it, that – Seals was the more accomplished guy, especially if he got his geography on the outside where he could do countering, take advantage of the little reckless aggression by the guy who's not a professional boxer. But I got to give credit to both of them, and I got to give credit to Perry. I'm I'm not pool-pooling him getting it. I'm not knocking it. I'm not knocking yeah. the judges because he earned it. He earned it. He climbed that hill, and he took yeah. it in and he. And he took incoming uh, to climb that hill, you know, that he had to take to climb that hill. And he got inside. The only chance he had was to get inside and tear it up. He got inside and he teared, he tore it up uh, to the best that he could. And and he, I think he earned the comeback if uh, if anyone earned the comeback. He, he earned it. And again, I understand Perry could complain uh, because he did some great work too, but... I, I wasn't one of the guys saying, oh, no, that, that's completely ridiculous. And, and, it was, yeah. and at the end of the day, it was what it needs to be. Uh, it, it was entertaining. It was. Yep. Well, the one fight that wasn't entertaining, it oh, was... Uh, I want to say was... something before you say anything more. That man right there, the man that's the lightning rod for celebrities, for everything, uh, uh, the the man who the, the mailman, when there's something special delivered to the neighborhood, he knows where it's going. He don't have to look at the name. <laughs> um, no, he, he... You had it right. A few hours, probably more than a few hours, probably about five hours, uh, before the fight, you said that you were actually scared 
that, and I thought it was a little hyperbole, you know, a little exaggeration. I was thinking at first because I wasn't really putting my head around it uh, to the point that when it came time to watch it, I did. And especially when I saw the physical shape and condition or the lack of physical shape and condition of Mir, the UFC, former UFC champion. But Ken said to me, Teddy, this pool left Mir fight, the heavyweight fight at the end of the night for Trilla. It, it actually scares me that he could get physically really hurt. He could get really hurt. And you know what, Ken? You, you were on a button with that one. I mean, he you could have... <laughs> we don't exaggerate these things, and we don't look to do that. But he could have really got hurt bad. I mean, if it wasn't for Pulev, not the ref. That ref should never ref a fight again. Uh, yep. Not because of the ref. Not because of anything other than really where you wouldn't expect it. Pulev had to be his own ref. He had to be his own conscience. He had to use control, discipline, character, um, humanity uh, to, arguably, to not kill him. Arguably, arguably things he hasn't shown in the past yes. with his behavior, kissing I a, agree. You know, the, is the kissing bandit. So, yeah, to summarize... Pulev just blasted him out of there, but he hit him with a shot, and he was Frank was out on his feet. And I love Frank Mayer, but he didn't come in in good shape. He was way outclassed. Kubrat Pulev has two losses against Klitschko and Anthony Joshua. This is a guy who like arguably could be the heavyweight champion. This is a polished professional fighter. Frank Mir is an older guy. He's 42, but he's been around a long time. Former UFC champion. And... Pulev hit him a shot, and Frank was out on his feet, standing there, just uh, 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 basically unconscious on his feet. And Pulev looked at him, looked at the ref. We wait. He throws another shot at him. Thank God it was glancing. And still looks at the ref, and then finally the ref steps in as Pulev's closing in to, like, finish him with the probably, like, a shot that's going to get him stretched out of there and save Frank Mir. So credit to Pulev for knowing that he had the guy unconscious and not really hurting him bad because I was – it was scary for a minute, and I love Frank Mayer. He's a nice guy. His daughter was in the corner with him. She's an established wrestler and, and probably a future UFC champion. She's an unbelievable wrestler and grappler. But, um, yeah, the, the, whoever sanctioned that fight should be ashamed. I mean, at least the boxing MMA fights earlier on were guys that were former boxers, but not like the elite, elite level like Pulev. And not that he's on the elite level with the top guys, but he's he's been in there twice with the elite guys, and he almost killed Frank, and thank God he didn't. Yeah, um, listen, everything Ken says, I'll, I'll make it even more graphic and um, descriptive by, uh, and with a, there's not really a lot of room for humor, but I always try to make some, as long as nobody did wind up getting hurt, then of course you can't make any. But first, this can never happen again, because, and you're right, Pulev has not been always uh, a good citizen, uh, you know, uh, honorable citizen, a guy that you could point to good behavior or good character. You're right. But on on this night, he did himself right, at least. Definitely. And, and proud because he didn't hit a completely defenseless guy. It'd be like hitting a guy who's drunk, come staggering out of a bar, literally staggering. That's exactly right. Perfect uh, description. You know, and, and just teetering from on a, on a curb, like about to fall into the gutter. And he's like wavering back and forth, like he's on a ship and his hands down. And, uh, and then you would go up and hit a guy like that. If you do that, 
you know, you're not a human being. You should be, you're a disgrace. And even in the ring, now in the ring, he would have got away with it because he's in the ring and that's allowable and it's, you know, arguably it's a sport and, and you, you're there, you know, the old saying, uh, def, you know, defend yourself at all times. Sometimes you can't. Sometimes he can't. So legally, I guess he could have got away with throwing it, but it would have been unconscionable because for the people that didn't see it, the reason we're spending so much time on the description, it was that serious. It was that graphic. I mean, did you ever watch The Honeymooners where uh, that, this is my humor here, but, uh, and then and Rob, uh, our great partner here with the producer, he he gets all this stuff up. I asked him ahead of time to get it up. I didn't ask him about this one. We'll, we'll see if he could grab it. But there was a Honeymooner series, uh, one of the episodes where Frank Crampton, of course, Jackie Gleason and, and Ed Norton, and Norton is sleepwalking. They're trying to break him off his sleepwalking uh, troubles. And he comes sleepwalking. They, they got him a dog. The psychologist said, if you get him a dog, he won't sleepwalk. Well, they got him a dog, but he went sleepwalking with the dog in his hand, and and when he was sleepwalking, he was like just sleepwalking, what you know, like his like this, just out of it, and not conscious of anything. Well, Mia was sleepwalking, and he might never have woken up. <laughs> I, 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 it's that serious. If if this guy didn't restrain himself, if Pulloff didn't, I mean, again, Ken, the thing that I go back to is, how did you feel? And when it was all over, I felt like, whew, thank God he didn't throw the punch. That's what I felt. Oh for. yeah! But then Frank I felt an awesome guy. But Frank Mir is a good dude. But then I thought afterwards, and and unfortunately he wasn't in shape either. And look, this is a guy. The match never should have been made. You talk about no making way. good matches. The guy was retired from the UFC, lost four of his last five. He had one other fight. He was basically retired, inactive. He had one other fight, whatever it was, and he's forty-two years old. I mean, come on, and he's not in shape. And it, it, the fight never should have been made. And the thing I go back to, though, that still kind of, you know, gets where, where you can't quite understand is how do you have a referee not stopping that? That's something I couldn't yeah. really get my... My my answer to like first of all, if that's the guy, why is he in a ring? If he doesn't yep. know why he's in a ring, if there's ever an example why you need a referee, that was it to protect yeah. a guy, to save a guy, to save a life, to literally save a life. And he's standing there. The guy could throw another two, three punches if he didn't decide not to throw them. Yeah, exactly. Uh, oh man, I, I just. I was trying to explain to my, like I was trying to get an answer to where sometimes, I'm a stubborn son of a gun, you know that, and sometimes I want an answer. And I'm like saying, how did the referee, how is that the ref? And how is he allowed to be the ref? And how does he not recognize that moment as a moment he needed to be a ref? 
Anyway, yep. Anyway. <laughs> well, let's. We got Cambosos coming up, but before we cover the um, the Showtime fight, Figaro and Fulton, I just want to say if you're looking for a Christmas present for the um, holidays coming up or a Hanukkah gift, check out Teddy's um, audiobook, Atlas From the Streets to the Ring A Son Struggle to Become a Man. There it is. It's available in paperback, available in Audible, audible.com. And if you'd like a special Christmas or Hanukkah shout out from the man himself, check out Teddy on cameo.com. Search Teddy Atlas and you'll find him there. Teddy will send you a personalized message. Teddy, let's talk about the Showtime fight real quick. Uh, Fulton gets the decision over Figueroa. I thought this fight was awesome. It reminded me at times of Gotti Ward in that they were just forehead to forehead throwing. Figueroa, to his credit, he just kept throwing. He was a punching machine. All he did was throw punches. But unfortunately, he didn't have enough structure or strategy behind it to me from the average fan's perspective. He was just unloading. He did some nice body work, but Fulton appeared to be the more polished of the two. And when he threw, he threw the better punches, connected, one that got the decision, rightfully so. How'd you like that one? Yeah, well, to your point, Ken, you're learning, baby. You're getting better and better, Ken. Getting better and better. Um, I'm learning from the best. I appreciate that. Look, Ken, um, one guy was throwing punches. One guy was placing punches. That's it, baby. One guy was throwing. One guy was placing. Um, credit them both because it was a great fight. Tremendous, tremendous. Part of a great night of boxing, and I was part of it. Tremendous fight. Tremendous matchmaking. Um, tremendous will. Tremendous will and determination and you know desire. And tremendous, more skill on the part of Fulton. I mean, he was the guy that was more skill. It was all will and conditioning and, you know, determination uh, from Figueroa, who was a puncher machine. I mean, he was he was like the late great. Of course, he's not like late great Henry Armstrong. There's only He's one of the greatest fighters in the uh, history of the sport, maybe in the top three. That's how great he was, 300 fights. Uh, held three full weight titles, no in-between titles, featherweight, lightweight, welterweight. And, and he won the middleweight against Severino Garcia, but they robbed him. Uh, they made it a 15-round draw. Otherwise, he would have had four. That's mind-boggling. Four full, full, full. <laughs> weight class um, belts, titles and he had three of them and he, he, he defended them simultaneously uh, just I mean one of the greats but his style reminded me of the great Henry Armstrong he just put his head Figueroa being he just put his head on Fulton's chest and backed him up and kept throwing and kept throwing and kept throwing and kept throwing uh, there were times when there were times when Fulton looked like he was trapped in a in a wind tunnel. You know when you see, uh, you, like if you ever go out and it's really like a hurricane about to start, you've felt it, Ken, and you, you're holding your kids, you're afraid they're going to go in the air. Like, like it, and the wind <laughs> starts moving you, starts moving you sideways, and, and, and you know, and, and you, you almost can't get your footing because it's bouncing you around. That's what he looked like. He looked like he was in a wind tunnel because this guy, <laughs> not that he was hitting them clean, but he was hitting them everywhere, arms everywhere else, and he was, he was kind of moving them around like a wind tunnel, like bouncing around. It was crazy. It was crazy. Yeah. And give credit to him, but give credit to Fulton for keeping his, his wits, his everything, and, and picking spots and cleanly looking like a surgeon, looking to pick the right spots to 
you know, to dissect this guy. Um, tremendous. I, I thought they got it right. Again, the judges got it right because the rules are who lands the more cleaner, effective punches, not who throws more. If it was a yep. battle of punch stats and punch <clears throat> numbers, well, then obviously Figueroa would have won. But it wasn't about that. It's about not throwing, landing. Not just throwing, landing. And to the credit of the judges, they understood that. They don't always, but they did. Give them credit. I give it to them. I give it to them. And give both fighters credit. And I get what you said about what you thought about the comparison of the fight. Uh, you were thinking of Ward Gaddy. Uh, you know what I thought of? My thinking went to, listen to this one. I thought of the first Duran-Leonard fight where Leonard fought the wrong fight. He fought Duran's fight. He, he fought yeah. Duran's fight on the inside. He decided to fight the fight that most people felt he shouldn't have fought, and the second time he did fight it the right way on the outside, where he'd have a better advantage. Again, geography. Uh, who owns geography that gives their skill set a better chance to be used properly uh, to its utmost? And for Fulton you would say it'd be on the outside. and But he took it inside. I think he was right to do it because if he tried to stay on the outside, the other guy would have won because he would have willed himself in. And while he was willing himself in, he would have kept, he would have probably kept Fulton so defensive that he wouldn't have been in the mindset and the physical position to really do the countering he did. He would have been defending so much that offense would have been the best defense. And offense is defense. When people talk about, oh, they make you know they make these comments and they always use these uh, these uh, they become cliche. Yeah, where they say offense is his best defense. Well, that was an example actually of it because that's he don't have a defense, uh, Figueroa. I mean, this guy gets insulted if you miss him, so <laughs> he, he gets pissed. And so he his. Defense is offense. So if he would have tried to stay outside Fulton, well, it would have probably worked for Figueroa. He would have kept him defensive, trying to stay outside. That he wouldn't have had a chance to to have his own offense. He wouldn't have had a chance to implement his offense. He needed to be set. He needed to be inside. He needed to make a miss. But and then counter. But it did make me think of that first Leonard. Durant fight because you had the guy like Leonard who had the abilities to box on the outside and he goes right into the right into the lion's den and and fights his fight that's the first thing I said oh he's doing what Leonard did against Durant he's fighting his fight but he won he he he, he won the fight and if I was in if I was able to say one thing but he won it so obviously his people did a great job but if I would have said one thing, Ken, in a corner, or if I was on a microphone about Fulton, it would have been one thing that was kind of getting me. I would have said, put another punch with the uppercut. He was landing that uppercut, which made sense because Figueroa was leaning forward. He was yeah. he was landing that uppercut beautifully and cleanly, but he never put something with it. Like, you land the uppercut, the right uppercut. Boom, boom, put the hook with it. You land the left. Boom, boom, put the right... Bop, bop. put another punch we used to say in the gym you know pick his head up with the other uppercut and take it off with the hook you know just <laughs> just put something with it instead of yep. just one uppercut all night it was driving me crazy but he he won the fight you know you get crazy when you're 
brought up to be like your whole life is to be a trainer. You know how many times I would walk through, people would laugh at me. I would walk through a gym. Somebody would invite me in the gym or I'd come to see somebody. Uh, they're not my friends, so you got to keep your mouth shut. But by just by habit, I'd be walking in the gym. I, I wasn't even aware of it. Actually, one time my, my son was with me, and he said, Dad, do you know what you just did? And he goes, nobody did because they were so respectful, which I appreciate. I, I, I appreciate it very much. But I'm walking in the gym as I'm walking past uh, the ring, I guess I must have just glanced at the guy sparring or the guy hitting the heavy bag. And as I'm walking in, I just like pointed and said, get, put your chin, get your chin down. Uh, you dropped your right hand. And I, I just, I didn't even, like you can't help it. You know, yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, don't jab for too close. And I just keep, and I just keep walking. And um, that's how it's hard sometimes to watch a fight for me and not like say something, you know. Even if I'm only saying it to the TV, like <laughs> yeah. like last like Saturday night, you know, yeah. put something with the uppercut. <laughs> I know. Driving me crazy. <laughs> you Listen. know, and then Elaine, uh, Elaine, the sane one in the house, would say, "Would you please stop? Would you please stop?" <laughs> yeah. Nobody hears well, you. Let, we've beef, we've got five minutes left. I want to get your opinion on something, but before we before we discuss the last topic, I just wanted to say if you've got some end of year uh, charitable giving to do, check out the Doctor Atlas Foundation. They do great work on Staten Island. And if you're looking for some more Christmas presents, check out Box Raw and Teddy's 36 collection. They make awesome stuff, and uh, they've got some beautiful gifts there as well. Teddy, um, everyone's favorite TV executive from Showtime, Steven Espinoza, the brains behind the operations, <laughs> sent out a great tweet on um, Saturday night. ESPN sent out a tweet that said, 36 years ago, Rocky IV was released. Rocky shocked the world, knocking out Ivan Drago in the 15th round, to which Steven Espinoza retweeted with the following quote stop treating rocky balboa slash sylvester stallone as a real boxer especially when you give a fictional fight a 36 year old movie more attention than tonight's high quality intriguing and very much real life figueroa versus fulton world title unification fight and that was the tweet he sent out, which was kind of funny because ESPN is his direct competitor and he's given them crap for not promoting his fight, but to recognize Sylvester Stallone's movie. Um, I'm sure you had opinions on that. Um, what'd you think? Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, he's the guy that, he's the executive that keeps on giving. You know, he just keeps giving you things to, you know, to jump on with him. But it's, it, it's kind of how much do these executives get paid? That's the first thing I thought. That a lot. They, you know what I mean? I mean, they get paid a lot of money, and I think they're supposed to have better things to do than send out a tweet, uh, knocking a rival, you know, network. I, he's surprised that the other network isn't promoting his fight. Isn't I mean, promoting their that, it, that they're not looking out for him. I mean, you know. I mean, it, it. it's hard to really quite... Like, today I've had a problem getting my head around a few things, like how that referee didn't, you know, stop that fight. And I, I kind of have the same problem with this. How how does... He's that thin-skinned? Um, first thing, I whatever he does get paid, which is the way he's acting is a little bit too much, 
quite frankly. Um, but you know, that's that's the job of the people that are the head of Showtime. But maybe you should think about how much you're paying this guy. Uh, are you really paying him to do those kind of tweets? And take your bonus, your Christmas bonus. I'm sure you're getting it, and give it to the main event fighters that we just finished talking about what a magnificent fight that was on your network you don't always give magnificent fights quite frankly but um you know like the great mickey duff i actually i actually credit people that have th said things instead of doing it as though it's mine the great <laughs> mickey duff would always say teddy even a blind squirrel finds an acorn every once in a while and so he found an acorn uh, but then somehow he lost the acorn by sending this tweet out almost where give that fight between Fulton and Figueroa, take your Christmas bonus money and give it to them because that is a practice that the UFC uses. Uh, I think it's a good practice when they give a bonus to the fight of the night. And guys like that, they're not making zillions of dollars. They're not even making close to that. And the bad thing about a kid like Figueroa, his career ain't going to go long because of his style, because of the way he fights. It's not. I hope it goes as long as he wants it to. But I, I deal in Realville. Realville, that's where I live. And the way he takes punishment, nah. So that's what I think you should do, first of all. And... It's really, it's really funny that that would bother you. Like there was no authenticity to mentioning, you know, uh, a Rocky Balboa. You know, he's 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 mad because you know he's he's not a real fighter, and you got a real fighter on our network, and you're not, you know, what what ESPN supposed to mention that fight, and and that you have the audacity to talk about. The anniversary of a Rocky fight. By the way, Balboa uh, beat beat the Russian that night. That was a good win. That was a good win, <laughs> you know. And maybe, maybe look, maybe he's pissed because he had wanted. I heard he had wanted to get the rematch with Creed, and he didn't get it, you know, on his network. Maybe that. Listen, maybe that's it. You never know what's behind such stuff that that is hard to explain otherwise. But here's the guy that is complaining about giving credit to a fictionalized, fictionalized character who's not a real fighter, yet he goes and buys Jake Paul, <laughs> who's a YouTuber. <laughs> and I like yeah. Jake Paul. I'm not knocking him because I give him credit, and I have on this show many times, Ken, where at least he works at being a fighter. At least he puts his work in. At least he respects the sport. And he's taking advantage of a market, and he's making money. You can't knock the guy for that. Go ahead. Go for it, Jake. But he's a YouTuber. <laughs> you bought a YouTuber, and you're complaining about a tweet about Rocky Balboa? You bought a YouTuber. I mean, come on. I mean, you know, it, it, it's it's a little bit, it gets out there a little bit, Um but at the end of the day, uh, you gave you, you gave a plug to ESPN. You know. Yep. Yeah. I mean, you 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 didn't have to do that. I mean, just concentrate on doing your job, which is to put fights like you did that night on. That that's your job. You know, uh, unbelievable. 
just again, man, I, I, I shouldn't have been a boxer. I should have been a TV executive. Then you could be, you could go and send out tweets when you feel like it and uh, have nothing to do with anything other than your own ego and your thin skinness. And, and you could get paid all kinds of money instead of having to worry about the stuff that I would have to worry about as a trainer. Who the hell's going to win a fight? And did I, you know, did you protect your fighter properly and prepare your fighter properly? But it was, it was, it was something to chuckle at, though. It, yes, it was. And, and Teddy, with that, we've got to jump because we've got the great George Cambosa, the new unified 135 champ. Almost, uh, I think we, I think he might be ready for us. So, with that, guys, thanks for being with us. Look for the interview with George Cambosa coming out this week. Thank you for being with us, and we'll see you next week.